This is John Lauder, host of The Cheap Seats. Thanks for listening to the following broadcast on Public House Media. Disarming Disability. Welcome back. You've officially made it to episode four of Disarming Disability, and we're so happy to have you here. Um, COVID-19 is really our reality, and uh, we figured we would talk a little bit today in the beginning about kind of what that means within the disability community and, and what conversations we've been having and seeing within that world. Uh, initially, there was a ton of um, particular attention given to the idea of when it comes, if and when it comes time for doctors to choose who gets ventilators, who, how do you make those choices? And, and trying to ensure that people who have disabilities aren't looked at as less than in those situations, just because, um, just because we are people who have different needs, right? And really, really trying to put um, procedures in place and bills in place and different different things that would really ensure the protection of people with disabilities. Um, but then there's also been this really fun, cheeky side to the disability world right now that is like, hey, we've told you guys for as long as the internet has existed that work from home is possible. Please include us. Please allow these accommodations. And now that's just like so blatantly obvious and clear. So it's been a little bit of a, a it's been fun to watch the kind of haha we told you so yeah. of the disability world saying, yeah, we've been waiting for this moment all along. It took a pandemic for you guys to realize it, you know, um, which is funny. Uh, but it's, I'm just hoping that the good, the good that will come out of the, that this, this craziness that we're in right now are the things exactly like what we're talking about, where, you know, we can, working from home can be more normal if that's an accommodation that somebody needs. Yeah. Or just like, how can we perhaps split time? So maybe it's not full-time working at home, but it's like, let, like, give me the option to work at home for three days a week. And then I can come in, like I can make the trek, if whatever, like maybe making a trek into the office at some point at to some frequency is accessible, but then it's, it's better if I have more of my time working at home or something along those lines. Um, also sort of just the, um, I hope also what comes out of this uh, is the realness of sick time and not sort of being penalized by sick time and, and sort of being able to find out other types of accommodations as far as um, allowing people to be sick and, and not punishing people for being sick and knowing that like, yes, there's sort of a spectrum of sick days, like, you know, but whatever, these are days that I've earned. So depending on what my fluctuality of, of sick is, you know, like maybe, maybe I could have gone into work, but listen, being a flight attendant with a sinus infection with air pressure is awful. Like, yeah, maybe if I was working a different job where I wasn't like trapped on an airplane with a bunch of people like circling around trying to land and, and really dealing with the altitude changes or just being on an airplane with the altitude that changes all the time with, um, you know, three times a day is, um, hard. And that could also risk bursting my eardrums as a result of that too. So it's like, yeah, okay, fine. It's a cold. Like it's not air quote, that big of a deal, um, but still getting sort of infractions or, or being, you know, sort of penalized by taking um, the time that I need where that could be, that's just really hard and uncomfortable to be sick on an airplane um, right. and have done it a lot. 
<laughs> too many times, I'm sure. I'm sure because that's the option. Well, and and also I just hope this changes the idea that healthcare has to be directly tied to an employer because we learned just how ridiculous that was when all of us lost our jobs. And yep. now it's in the middle of a pandemic where the thing we're most scared of is getting sick. But how do you have healthcare if you don't have an employer? Yep. You know, um, in our world right now, that's the way it's set up. And that, in my personal opinion, has to change. So I hope that can happen. Right. Um, yeah. Now, with all that being said, I think it's best if we um, transition now into the conversation we have today with our expert, Emily. Emily is an incredible advocate and an incredible leader. Uh, she currently is the one running ADA Advancing Leadership. It is a program that is the only kind of program of its kind. We'll dive into what that means and what it is, but essentially this program is training disability leaders in Chicago um, in training them in the pride of their disability identity and bringing that into spaces where they can be leaders. She's incredible um, and I can't wait for you to meet her. So yeah, let's transition into our interview today with Emily. Emily Blum is a seasoned nonprofit leader who has more than 20 years experience bringing stakeholders together to create and implement effective communication strategies around complex social and political issues. She currently runs ADA 25 Advancing Leadership. For Emily's full bio, please check out our website, disarmingdisability.com. So thank you for being here, Emily. Uh, how is your life going today? Oh, thank you so much. It's really great talking to you guys. And life is okay. We're kind of in this new normal right now, but um, I kind of feel like I'm settling in and hitting my groove. I actually, you know, it's it's, it's an interesting moment, especially for people with disabilities, because I think, um, you know, what I've heard a lot from our members in our community is that um, uh, work from home is a... Uh, uh, a preferred way of working. I'm actually really preferring it myself. I've always been an office rat, um, but now I, I can see myself being more of a house mouse. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, employers have, you know, we've heard all these barriers like, no, no, your job couldn't possibly done from home. And now we're in this moment where it's like, oh, really? Because it kind of seems like everybody's working from home and like things are, you know, that it's working okay. So I, I just, I hope it opens opportunity for employers and employees to be having different kinds of conversations. So we'll see. Well, I also love just like the ratio where maybe some pieces do need to happen in an office. Okay, so have that once a month or something like that. And maybe exactly. like one day going into an office could potentially be more tolerable uh, or, or more accessible for individuals versus, you know, every single day trying to come into an office with all of the different barriers that we face. But sort of like, how can we um, sort of look at the ratios from, you know, work, our time spent working at home to working in an office? So I even really, and it doesn't necessarily need to be that like one or the other, but I also really am excited for sort of that, that blend of, of dual, um, dual working spaces. Exactly. I think that's, I think that's going to be the future. I'm excited. Yeah, I hope that's the good that comes out of all of this. Yeah. It's a wild ride that we're all on. Um, so, Emily, I we want to deep dive into, you know, the organization that you are the leader of, ADA 25 Advancing Leadership. 
But I'm wondering if before we really deep dive there, if you could give us a little bit um, about your story. Who are yeah. you? Where did you come from? Uh, and, and why are you working in the disability world? Great. Um, so it's kind of a merge of like a professional story and a personal story. So I'll start with the professional one and then I'll transition to the personal one. So professionally, um, I have been working in uh, like a marketing and communication space, predominantly within um, uh, for nonprofits for the last 20 years since I graduated college. I'm 20 plus years now, I'm very old. Um, but uh, uh, have worked for a variety of organizations, all within like the social justice um, arena um, and have found uh, a lot of um, uh, pride and satisfaction and really enjoyed the work that I did and that I do. Um, but I am a person with a disability. So um, I was diagnosed with a movement disorder called dystonia when I was in my teens. And now I'm transitioning to my more personal story. Um, and uh, um, had a lot of uh, pretty significant mobility issues until I was about 30, 31. And I underwent something called deep brain stimulation. Um, which managed a lot of my symptoms. So now I walk, quote unquote, more normally. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I um, always, you know, always knew I had um, a disability, but didn't really kind of come into that disability identity until I was um, older and stumbled into the organization that I now lead, ADA 25 Advancing Leadership. In 2018, I went through their fellows program. And, um, and it was the first time that I was really in a room with um, people who um, had different disabilities. Some were visible, some were invisible, um, but we all had this identity and um, Nobody had dystonia. I didn't expect anybody to have dystonia. Nobody, nobody had dystonia. But as people talked and shared their experience and their perspective, I just was like, oh, my God, you're singing my song. Like, that's, that's my story. How do you know that story? That's my story. And, you know, here was a room of people, of professionals, of, you know, leaders who we all had, you know, very common experiences um, and successes and um, uh, uh, stories. So um, it kind of, it made me think that, you know, disability, I think I was um, always had the mindset that disability was something I had to overcome, right? I had to overcome dystonia to um, navigate college and overcome dystonia to, you know, be considered for different jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But here I was in a space where, um, disability was an asset. And I was able to connect my accomplishments to my disability in many ways. You know, I, I think of myself as, a, as, as empathetic, as an empathetic leader, as compassionate, as, you know, being able to be vulnerable. Um, uh, you know, qualities that I think, you know, are oftentimes identified as, as in good leaders. And, and I was like, I'm able to do that because of dystonia, not despite dystonia. And so it was, wasn't really until 2018 when I went through the fellows program that I kind of had this like aha moment. And so when the opportunity for the executive director position opened up, I was like, 
hell yes. Like this, this has to like, I, this was meant for me. And I never thought that I would find a job, even though I like personally was invested in every job I had. Like I, I really felt passionately about the, the mission or the issue. This was the first time that the personal and the professional really came together in a way that um, I couldn't, I couldn't pass up. That's awesome. And it's so exciting to hear, you know, also full disclosure, I, I was a fellow class after you. So I also went through this class that we're about to talk about. Or that, um, and I very much also now relate to the experiences that you say that you had. Just the power of being in a space and in a room with others who, who just kind of get it, but also not only get it, want to use that for something yeah. good felt really empowering and um, was so glad that 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 was a space that I was led to by awesome mentors within the disability community and that it's something that I was able to be a part of. So it it is an amazing, incredible program. Um, can you can you tell us that? Oh, I'm sorry, Sarah. I was going to say, can you oh, tell no. us about it? But Sarah wants to say something. And I'm so sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, tell me, tell me what this is. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, um, and maybe I'll start with our origin story, because I think that's that's a big piece of it. So in 2015, during the 25th anniversary of the celebration of the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, one of the big Chicago foundations called the Chicago Community Trust um, wanted to convene citywide partners, region-wide partners, organizations to celebrate. And so arts and culture organizations, policy organizations, everybody kind of got behind this idea to celebrate this important piece of legislation. But what was recognized as part of that process was that there weren't enough leaders with disabilities um, leading our city, leading our civic spaces, leading our organizations. And so um, they wanted to, you know, help build the pipeline, help build the bench. And that's where our organization was born was with the desire that there are more leaders and a place to go if you're looking for um, people to lead um, uh, as part of your organization. So um, that looks like nonprofit boards, that looks like civic um, uh, commissions uh, at the city or the state or in your local community. Um, that also looks like career advancement. Um, so, um, that's really where our organization was founded in the, in the, in the need and desire to have a strong pipeline of leaders with disabilities. And so as part of that work, we have kind of three legs to our organization. Um, the first leg is a members network. So we are currently have 140 members, um, who are, who have a strong disability identity and they actively want to participate in um, civic uh, career advancement. We have something that we call a program that we call Civic Connections, which is where we're actively making those connections um, to our members, to uh, with outside organizations who who are seeking uh, leaders with disabilities. The third part and the part the part of the program that I participated in that Nikki participated in is called the Leadership Institute. And it's a year long um, program for emerging, what we call emerging leaders um, to help them 
uh, understand their disability identity and help them develop a plan for their leadership. Um, and so that's the spaces in which we're talking about where we kind of had a lot of these aha moments. Yeah, and I think, you know, our, our whole goal is that we have a really strong network of members, fellows, people who go through a leadership uh, institute are automatically part of our members network and that we're active, engaged, and that we're really building community, right? That we're building um, a place where people can go for resources, for conversation, for mentorship, to be mentors. Um, and we're, you know, we're really trying to, our goal is to build that out to make it robust. Can you um, just like or, or share some of um, like big successes from your organization? Like, what are some really cool things that have come out that um, are really because of this organization and, and this model? Yeah, we've had some. Um, uh, we're really proud of the placements that we've made. So, um, for example, um, we have uh, um, helped place. Um, uh, three um, kind of top-level state um, executive-type positions. So the Commissioner of Human Rights at the state level is a member. Now we've been able to, you know, connect one of our members to the position of Director of the Division of Rehabilitation Services at the state of Illinois. Um, One of our members is a uh, trustee at the University of Illinois. Um, And inside knowledge, one of our members is hopefully soon to be appointed um, mayor, um, mayor's office for the people with disabilities at the city of Chicago. So, you know, I think when, especially at the city and state level, when, you know, what we're really proud of is the relationships that we've built so that when there's a need to be filled, they're, they're looking to us and saying, who do you have to fill these roles? So I, um, first of all, have been waiting very patiently to, to, I knew that they were going to have to make an announcement about this position um, within the disability world. I'm wondering if um, you can talk about, can you explain to people who live outside of Chicago uh, why that seat is, or why that role, that job is currently open? Um, And also additionally, how that's also unique to Chicago, like other, other places should do this too. Yeah, I mean, so as part of um, a department within our city hall, City of Chicago, we have a specific office called the Mayor's Office for People with Disabilities, and their role is to advocate, support, fight for people with disabilities um, within city services and within this throughout the city. Um, There are other cities that have this position. New York, Houston also have these offices as well. Um, Probably others that I am not remembering or listing off, but um, it is it is pretty unique. And so um, it was founded, I believe, under the daily administration. And it was this recognition that um, we need we need a, a, a division and we need a commissioner um, who's going to support and advocate for people with disabilities. And so it's, it's really um, a commitment and a promise from city hall level that 
that says this is important. Um, we need we need somebody in this role. And so for a long time, that role was held by Karen Tamley. Um, Karen is a longtime disability advocate, um, nationally known, not just here in Chicago. Her work um, um, occurs uh, throughout uh, the country. I mean, she's a really incredible leader, and a lot of people um, know her for her leadership. Um, she was recently appointed CEO of Access Living, which is awesome. Um, we're, you know, so thrilled that she's stepping into that role, but that left a, a space um, at the City Hall. So um, we are actively, we, I, I know the final two candidates are members, but I don't know uh, who or how it's been selected, but it may be announced by the time this podcast comes out. I don't know. Dude, I, I placed my bet on who it was, and I texted that person the day after Karen was announced as going over to Access Living, and I was like, my bet is on you. Good luck. <laughs> so I'll let you know when they announce it. I'll send you an email whether my Oh, yeah. Is- I, wa- I, I want to hear. I definitely yeah. want to hear. That's exciting. That's yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, too, and, and maybe, or just if we can really underline, like, why is it important that people with disabilities exist in these roles? And and as we are moving forward, like, I think, and not just particularly the roles that you've named, but I'm thinking just like leadership in sort of shaping what rehabilitation and disability looks like in political spaces. And like, why is it important that that people with disabilities are there? I mean, it's, it's important because, you know, it's, it's critical that people with lived experience are making decisions for people with the same experience. And so like, that's not a very eloquent way of saying it, but I, I want to give an example of something that happened. I think it was earlier this year. Um, here in Illinois, um, a lot of um, advocates um, use Amtrak to travel down from Chicago to Springfield um, or in other places in the state to advocate for different policies. Um, environmental advocates, housing advocates, and disability rights advocates. Like basically, like if you do advocacy work in Chicago, you are constantly taking the Springfield, um, Chicago to Springfield Amtrak train uh, to and from. Um, and uh, Access Living, which we mentioned before, is the new organization that Karen is leading. Um, use their advocates used Amtrak um, to go down to Springfield to lobby um, for for policy change. And um, it's a really efficient, inexpensive way to travel. And so one of our friends was booking their train ride, their train tickets for a large group of people. And Amtrak came back and said, um, it's going to cost $25,000. Normally, t- a one-way ticket to Amtrak or to Springfield is something like thirty. I'm probably getting that number wrong, but it's a very inexpensive and efficient way to travel. They were saying, for us to refigure this car to accommodate the wheelchair users that you have, it's going to cost us $25,000. Now, to me, it's clear not only is that unjust, but it's also clear to me that you you obviously don't have a person with a disability in your policymaking shop, right? And so, so you have a bunch of people who are making decisions that, that impact people with disabilities and you have nobody at your table to, to step up and say, Hey, like that doesn't actually seem equitable to me. 
right? And so like, that's just one example of why it's so important to like really look at your tables of leader, to look at tables of leadership and say, who's sitting there and who's not sitting there. And I think increasingly to, you know, organizations, you know, and I, I don't mean to pick on Amtrak at all, but like, you know, all organizations that are starting to scrutinize, especially um, when it comes to racial equity, like who's sitting at their tables of leadership and they should be doing that. Um, I'm not sure how expansively they're thinking about disability, right? So one in four people, one in five people, the statistics vary by location, identifies as having a disability. So presumably one in four people in your organization has a disability, but are they identifying that way? Are they, are they coming into your office that way? Are they coming into work that way? So really it's, it's about, it's about the ability to show up whole and to be your whole entire person. Um, and that's, you know, like, and I think what the gamble that we're taking is that if other people can see leaders with disabilities showing up whole um, in positions of power and influence, they will say, oh, that person is singing my song. I want, it, let me sing that song louder, you know? So like, it's, it's kind of like this, this model approach and, and really, you know, leadership is important. That's our focus, but we see our end game as culture change. We want to change the culture of what it means to be a professional, what it means to be a person, what it means to be a leader with a disability. So needed. Yeah. Needed. And, and that's exactly what ADA 25 Advancing Leadership is doing, is it's setting up the foundational steps, the model, the connections, the pride. It is, it is, it has a very expertly sat down and thought about all of these things and made those opportunities actually available, which is just the best. I, it's the best. Um, can you, can you tell, uh, can you tell our listeners, um, Hey, Oh, this sounds interesting. I am from a Chicago ish yes. If you are from this Chicago-ish area, can you talk to us about ways that um, they could potentially plug into ADA 25 and be a part of things going on? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple ways. One, um, in this COVID-19 moment, um, we took uh, the opportunity to provide a really wide variety of virtual programming. So come to one of our events next week. Uh, oh, it's going to happen after after this airs but um yeah we've uh, so last month we had kia brown next week um uh, before this podcast airs we're having judy human um we're gonna have a conversation june 8th i think with um uh the directors of crip camp um which is a really fabulous documentary that the obamas produced um about uh, this incredible uh, camp in the 60s um, outside of Woodstock uh, that really, um, per, you know, bore a lot of the disability rights um, activists and leaders. And so it's it's a really fun, it's a really fun moving movie. And we're going to be talking with the producers of that. So that's really exciting. But yeah, we have a lot of virtual events. And so connect with us on social media. That's the best way to learn about that. Um, but we're also seeking uh, new members, and we want people with disabilities, leaders with disabilities who 
own that disability identity to get connected with us. Um, and so to learn more about applying, um, folks can go to ada25chicago.org backslash apply. I hope you can put those in your show notes because mm-hmm. that's a bit of a mouthful. Um, but there's an application that people can um, use to, to get connected with us. And so, and what membership means is that you are part of our network and we are actively thinking about you and your goals and how we can help you achieve them. So whether that's a career, a career change, career advancement, if that's civic engagement, like we want to, we want to hear about it. We want to know about it. And then we want to be um, making those connections. Um, we also connect our members to mentors. Um, we connect them to other types of opportunities. So um, yeah, get connected with us. We want to, we want to hear from you. So things that are servicing people in Chicago, what about people who are not in Chicago? Like, is there a way, are you guys looking at expanding? Would we be able to connect individuals in other cities? How can they get connected with you if they're even interested in being sort of a part of this or or potentially like bringing these to other spaces? What does that look like? Yeah, well, I think, you know, when, according to our research, um, we are the only organization of our kind in the nation, um, which we're really proud of, but we're also like, whoa, we need to be in other places because this work is needed. We, you know, leaders need to be connected and developed in all areas of the country, if not the world. So, um, yeah, we, we have national ambitions. I think we're a little bit, you know, not ready to launch it in year 2020, uh, maybe not even year 2021, but we certainly want to be connected to um, leaders who can help us think about what this could look like in their city, in their community. So um, uh, my email is uh, eblum at ada25advancingleadership.org. I want to hear from you and, and your ideas about how we could um, you know, bring this to your community. Um, certainly connect with us on social media, sign up for for our emails, um, that's that's certainly part of our, you know, three to five year plan, and we're excited about it. Um, especially if you live in Maui, uh, <laughs> I will I will give you my personal phone number. We're coming we're coming to Hawaii. <laughs> Outside of Chicago, it will be Outside, first. Yes, it's going to be uh, Chicago, Maui, Miami. Yeah, right. okay, something right. like that. We'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so just to kind of touch and tell a little bit about, I would love to kind of insert my favorite thing about being, um, a part, being a fellow in last year's ADA 25 advancing leadership class. Um, it was the first time in my entire life that I had been in a space where absolutely everyone had access to communication. So what, what does that mean? Because before I entered into this space, it was something that I had in theory thought about, but never actually experienced or been a part of. So every single morning, um, so you heard, you heard Emily say that, that these are like classes that you're taking. So there were a variety of days that we actually were together in a like space physically together. And the first question that was always asked when we arrived in the morning was, does everyone have access to communication? And when that was said, 
there instantly was someone um, typing at their keyboard. So that way you actually saw the text on a screen so you could read communication if you needed. There was a sign language interpreter right next to the person speaking who was interpreting in real time. Um, so that way, if that was your means of communication, that was the way that you were able to communicate. And it was um, very in a very beautiful way, eye-opening to me because the second that everybody was able to fully participate in conversation, that was when everybody was fully invested. And because ADA 25 Advancing Leadership started out day one, second one, with that, everybody everybody started fully engaged because they understood that that their needs and their communication was the most important part. Their voice was a literally the most important. And um, it was to me like, I, I cannot wait for the world to look like that in the yeah. future. And, you know, because I've made that announcement, do we have communication access in place? And um, I've started um, adding something to that, which is because for us, access is equity. Right. Like that, that means that, that everybody is starting in the same place when you can ensure that there is um, access to um, um, uh, technology, to um, communications like that is that's that's equity. And I think it also sets the tone that just because I think sort of societal views today and like stigmas today assume that there's only a, a your sort of like standard set of needs and that any additional needs are like extra that um, it this I think really changes that that it's like no 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 like all needs should be part of the standard needs it's not like this is an expansion pack that we're like including into it because that's that's I feel like that's how the the model exists in sort of like generally sort of like mainstream right now I I really I think some of it's shifting um, but I, I just really like that that becomes the norm that that there's more needs that people need that are being met or that need to be met. Yeah. Um, and it's not like this extra additional, I can't believe we have to do this, or this is like going to exactly. cost more or whatever. Like, no, 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 this just goes into, ba- we need food, we need water, we need chairs, we need access to communication. Exactly. And I think that there's a lot of, uh, that, that accommodation sphere and it plays out in so many ways, you know, in organizations that are like, Oh, like how much is it going to cost to accommodate this person? Or how much is this, you know, captioner going to, you know, charge us. And, and um, it's really about providing the technology and the support that people need to either do their jobs or be leaders. And quite frankly, it's not that expensive. So I think they, they found that the average like uh, employee accommodation cost is something under $500. But when, when somebody is, um, uh, um, you know, has the capacity then to do their job, they're going to be productive. So isn't that $500 investment worthwhile if that person is going to produce for you? So like that, it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a bad conversation. It's a, it's a, it's a trap that I think a lot of uh, organizations find themselves in. 
I remember um, applying for my first jobs right out of college. Um, and again, I think Nikki and I both sort of existed in a space where we're normal. There's nothing different though, different about us. Like we um, don't have a disability. Like these are all the messages that I sort of received and was trying to navigate as, as a young person and was absolutely not woken to disability pride or even disability laws or disclosure laws or anything like that. And on my resume, I had volunteered for um, this really beautiful organization, which is how I met Nikki. But I somehow alluded that that was for kids with hands and and that I, I alluded to something on my resume that I could potentially have a hand difference. Um, and I remember having a um, phone on, like it was a phone conversation with this woman who I would be her secretary for this organization that she was working in um, and, and needing to do uh, computer work. And in it, she was just like, can you even type? Like, do, do I have to get you a special keyboard? Because I don't want to have to pay for that. Um, and like, I don't, I don't need those resources. Like we're a nonprofit. I don't have organizations to be able to, to pay for you to have the keyboard. Um, and I just remember being very sort of taken back by that because prior to that, I had never really experienced anything like that in my, in my life before. And, and I didn't even know that that's not even a question that she's able to legally ask me, but know that like, if I'm experiencing this barrier, then so many other people are experiencing this barrier and yeah. and not even sort of looking at to who I am and sort of what skills can I provide, like what have my life experiences had that I could be able to be, you know, a really value, not even, not just productive, but, you know, like yeah. be like a, a really cool, different perspective that could, you know, really contribute to the team or, or how to advance things forward. Um, but that that was a conversation was like, oh, I don't want you because you need the special Very keyboard. Expensive. Um, Or just the assumption that I need to have a special keyboard even was just like, and even if I needed it, yeah, that it was expensive and I ended up not, she didn't hire me and I wouldn't have taken it anyway, but I was just very. And and it's, and it's probably pretty obvious that there's not a lot of people with disabilities sitting at her leadership table, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's just like, it's such a frustrating cycle. Mm-hmm. where, you know, people um, aren't, you know, open or, you know, woke to disability and they don't surround themselves or have conversations or or create a culture that invites it in. And it just, it remains closed forever and ever. My first job, I was hired sight unseen. So mm-hmm. I uh, left a resume with my college career office. I got a call from a guy who ran a political consulting firm in Washington, D.C. He hired me sight unseen. I showed up, you know, with a pretty significant mobility disability. And he was like, oh, hi. And I was like, hi. And I, you know, and, you know, I don't think that they were really uh, the ADA had passed, but I doubt that they were very much aware of like any of the laws or rules around it and what you can say and what you can't say and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I worked really hard for them. I worked really hard. It was a political job. It was, a uh, I worked every day, Monday through Sunday from like nine to nine, like it was grueling, but like, I worked really hard for them and, the, and, the, and I did good work for them. And then, you know, so it, it, it wasn't an, it wasn't an issue. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the thing that like, which sucks that, you know, you have to overcome and I, and, and disclosure is so Mm -hmm. important, but it's 
such a personal and complicated thing to navigate that uh, I wish I could, you know, come on this podcast and say, everybody should disclose immediately that they have a disability and our culture would change and our world would change and your organization would change. But it's so much more complicated than that. Um, and so it's this, you know, it's this tension between, you know, a personal and organ and like societal um, journey uh, around this topic that's like it's it's really complicated I just feel like I have to add in there one of the very first jobs I had also faced it almost exactly what you guys are talking about where I my looking back at it now the way I feel about it is why didn't anybody warn me that that was going to happen because then I would have at least mentally prepared for it because the moment when the discrimination was happening when the um, when the just kind of like shock and trying to quietly walk around my, my disability, but also like not wanting to hire me situation was happening. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't even realize or know how to navigate that. So I think yeah. that probably must be a common theme for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Especially those of us with like more visible disabilities. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Where I know we're. Oh, at. I could talk to you guys all day long. This is so fun. <laughs> Yay! I'm like we would sit and talk forever. Um, but is there anything, any parting thoughts you would like to share, or anything um, that you feel like we didn't get a chance to talk about that you would like to provide a little bit of insight for us on? Yeah, no, I, you know, I'm so grateful for uh, your community um, and and really the larger disability community. I um, I'm new to it as, as an adult. I, I wasn't necessarily raised in it, but I'm so grateful that it is um, so um, welcoming and encouraging. And it's really about. Um, normalizing at minimum, celebrating at best the idea that, you know, disability is is a normal part of life. It's an important part of life. It is an asset. Um, it, it, it makes you who you are, and that's a good thing. And I think as much as, you know, we can spread the word around that is, is where we're going to see a lot of change, and it's exciting. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Thank you. This and thank so you fun. for all of the work that you're doing. I'm like, it just is so powerful. And to be the only organization in the country that is doing the work that you're doing, like that is so incredibly powerful. And yeah. I really hope that in the future, it just multiplies like rabbits and it's everywhere. <laughs> and we just have all these amazing leaders that are doing all this really great stuff. And that we have kids growing up in a world um, where it is just that this is part of their their mainstream. Exactly. I mean, that, that is, I think really the, the exciting opportunity. So I have a niece, um, she has dystonia, um, and I just, you know, I'm so excited for her, for her world when she becomes an adult and, and what that's like. So, um, yeah. And, and it's really that I, I do this work for that. Mm-hmm. I oh. do this work for her. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. We want to give thanks to our network, Public House Media, for our intro beats to Jason Bards with Cybernetics. Our local art, we want to remember Patrice. You can find his work at normalpersons.com. Be sure to follow Disarming Disability on Facebook and Instagram. And lastly, be sure to check out our website, disarmingdisability.com, where you can find all 13 episodes of season one, 
links to resources, transcriptions, and discussion questions for each episode. And check out our blog where we feature amazing disability advocates. See you next week. Bye.